All right, welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I'm Randy Zellier from BackSportsPage.com. And I'm Marito Rivera from Level 1 Games in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. How are you, Mr. Randy? I'm very excited. Great episode this week. Hot Sauce Tracy Williams joins the show for See? Ring of Honor. That's how you say it, Randy. You got it. You got it. You got to have some feeling when you, when you when you introduce these people, man. Well, you can't do it like a mummy. Listen, I, I just had practice. I was sitting there before we went on air going, Tracy Williams hot sauce. And I was sitting there going for like five minutes. It's like almost like a singer going, do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do, type of thing. Did you do it in front of the mirror? The, I, I heard that helps. Like if you just sit there and go, hot sauce, Tracy, you know, like, I don't know. Did you do that? I, I am a little self-conscious sometimes about looking in the mirror. So what I did was I just went into a dark room and did it. So that's just, it was you know just what? I, I can, I can, I can jive with that. Are you saying that I'm ugly? Yes, that's that's what I was implying, but I, uh, I didn't I always, want to say it out loud. Listen, I always appreciate your honesty, so you know that's always a good way. To, <laughs> it's always a good way to. It's, 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 it's always yeah. a good way to start an episode calling Randy ugly. Listen, I, I, <laughs> I respect the truth and I respect the honesty. So if you're going to come out and say it, you're at least coming out and say it. That's I think that's the best way of doing it, right? Like, like you know, it's like it's like it's like that girlfriend you said. Does this outfit make me look bad? No, sweetheart, it's the fat that makes you look bad. You know, you you're just lazy. Jesus Christ. Let the honesty out there. So well, I try to be as honest as possible and upfront. You know, I, I don't want to talk behind you, no, behind your back. I'd rather do I, it to your face. So that way, when I talk about you behind your back, you're not surprised of what I said because I already told you. And by the way, to all the guys out there, if a woman ever says you, this is how it make me look bad, run away. Don't even, don't answer the question. No, I would, just I would, say you look good yeah, exactly. and lie. Just lie, <laughs> and that's it. Sometimes little lies are good. So just get that out of the way. It's fine. Now, now I'll stop. I'll stop the the fat shaming, Randy. Like, (laughs) let's move on to the fact that we have a native New Yorker joining us. I am so ecstatic. He's going against one of your guys from Edison, New Jersey. Uh, Who was that again? LSG, Uh, baby. Yeah, Leon St. Giovanni, which I hear that Randy is, like, throwing parties and parades for. Yes. He's going against my dude, Tracy Tracy Williams. Like, why, why would you go for him, Randy? Listen, you hate all water. That's what it is. Well, it's not even about the water, which you, when you hear the beginning of the interview, you will have the conversation of the water coming up. But <laughs> we, we, we were discussing the – trying to get an, uh, an edge for New Jersey over New York with M is almost impossible. It's almost very, it's almost impossible to get M to say anything positive about New Jersey besides. No, 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 no. My store is in Jersey. That's, oh, that's what I was about to say. I was about to say your store is in New Jersey. He, so that's the positive. By the way, level one games in Pompton Plains, New Jersey. Uh, take your game to the next level at level one games. So uh, with that being said, uh, <laughs> I, I, I did find one thing. I did find one thing that I can hang my hat on. All right. I am prepared for this. Please enlighten me. Before the move to New York happened, the New Jersey Nets had much more success than the New York Knicks Hmm. since their move. Wait, wait. But you're talking about the Brooklyn Nets? Is that what it is? No, up until they moved to Brooklyn, from 2000 till they moved. The New Jersey Nets were a ten times better team than the New York Knicks. The New York Knicks have only so, whoa, had. Whoa, whoa, whoa. 
So you're saying that the Brooklyn Nets are better than the New York Knicks. That's is that your statement? No, I can go with that, or I can go with the New Jersey Devils are better than the New York Rangers. I, can, <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a backup plan. I really did. Okay, all right. You know what? You beat me on that one. Like I can't argue it. I'm still a Rangers fan, but uh, the Devils do take us. So. <laughs> I'm a basketball guy first. I wanted to see how long I could swing it until you said the Brooklyn Nets, right? So uh, <laughs> stay, staying back on point, um, you know, Tracy Williams, we, we were able to sit down with him, and we had a great talk with him. Uh, about his time right now in Ring of Honor and his uh, his career to this point. And, man, I got to tell you, what a great dude. Dude was really cool. He was very generous with his time, and I appreciated every moment of it, man. I was really excited for this one because he, he's a young guy, 32 years old, and a hell of an athlete, man. I've seen him perform, and he's just a straight shooter, man. He, he just beats people up. It's great. <laughs> I, I loved hearing in the beginning of the interview about his sacrifice and being down in Philly, but I don't want to spoil too much. I want you guys to enjoy Ring of Honor star Tracy Williams this week on The Cut. Back here on The Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast with us now from Ring of Honor, Tracy Williams. Tracy, thanks for giving us some time today, man. I really appreciate it. Wait, Randy. You got to introduce him properly, man. This is hot sauce. Mm. Tracy Williams. You got to do it with go. some enthusiasm. Come on. Yeah. It's because he's from New York. I get it. You got, you, you're a Jersey boy. You don't like New Yorkers. I will take care of my dude. It's How still, are you, man? Yeah. It's, still the argument about the, it's still the argument about the water. Who's got better water, New Jersey people or New York people? We've had this argument so many times. I still think it's Jersey. It's New York. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I'm baffled by that. But yeah, you can't just serve it up on season. You got to add the hot sauce in there. So. Yeah, man. That's what I'm saying. That's the best way to do it. Thanks well, for having me. Hey, guys. And, and, and Tracy, you know, we were doing some research on you. And man, like, I, I didn't realize up until we started doing some research that you trained with uh, back with uh, Mike Quackenbush. And can you talk about when you first started back in 2000, well, you made your debut back in 2014, what training was like for you and that experience of really getting started in the business and, and, the, and the effect that Mike had on you? Yeah, actually I had my first match at the very end of 2008 and uh, started wrestling regularly in 2009. So I started training, yeah, at the, at the school back then in 2008. And at the time the head trainers were Quack and Cesaro. Um, was like the two main trainers and Sarah Del Rey also helped out a lot. So I credit her as well, even though she wasn't an official head trainer at the school, but she was there at every class helping out. And now, you know, she's like one of the head coaches at NXT, which is, I think, super cool. And it seemed like a really logical place for her to end up because all those coaches were super great. So I was really lucky because I got off on a good foot with good training, which is hard to come by in wrestling. You know, there's a million schools out there and it's hard to find one that's going to treat you right. And that's going to set you up for success. So I was lucky with that. And where did you start? Did you start here in New York training no. first or did you move away and kind of go to a school? No, I, I started training in Philly um, at the Chikara okay. school in 2008 because I was, I knew I wanted to be a wrestler. I knew I wanted to get training. I was in, and I lived in New York, of course, I've always lived in New York, and I don't know, just none of the schools in New York, no offense to them, but they just didn't seem like the place for me. Like, they didn't seem like they were going to be the right fit, or that they were going to be super, like, accessible and, like, just, like, right for me, and then I ended up going to see a couple Chikara shows in Philly. I took the Chinatown bus out there, 
which was really cheap. Um, it left like every half hour. Um, I'm not a very timely person. So if you miss one, there's one leaving in 30 minutes, which is great. Um, and that going to like a couple shows there at the ECW arena showed me that like, oh, it's possible to get there because a lot of people, especially like in New York, it's tough to break out of that bubble of wherever you start just in anything um, it, when you're in a city like that, because you kind of feel like you have most things at your fingertips. So us New York people were not as pushed to, to get out of the nest as much, you know, like I, we don't get our driver's licenses the second we turn 16, like <laughs> that stuff doesn't happen because we live in a different kind of place. And so taking the bus like that and seeing how easy it was to, to get out of the city and how accessible somewhere like the ECW arena was, gave me like the spark that I needed that I, I knew like, okay, these are the people that I admire right now, the wrestlers that I admire, the people that I want to train me. And I found it, I was like so easy to get out there. So as soon as I realized that I started training and, and yeah, I would just take the bus every week to Philly a couple of times and, and train. That's awesome, man. Cause you made a great point. Like I didn't get my license till I was like 34. Yeah. I still know? don't have mine. I'm, I'm 32 <laughs> and I, I still don't have mine. I've somehow made it this far with that one. It's the funniest thing because it's like I, I started a store in Jersey, a video game store, and like I'm so lucky now that I have a license, but if this was 10 years ago, man, I, I'd be screwed. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting. Like I want to hear a little more because not everybody that, that listens to the show lives in New York, and it's normally a main theme of us. How was it growing up in New York? Like did you go to MSG a lot to see the shows? Like how was that for you? Yeah, I actually did. Like the first time I saw wrestling live would have been at Madison Square Garden. It would have been a WWF house show um, in probably like the early 90s. I think, you know, my dad took my brother and I and, you know, so I, I've always loved wrestling. And in New York, you know, Madison Square Garden is like the mecca of wrestling and everything. And it, yeah, I mean, I loved it. But yeah, growing up in New York definitely like shapes you in a certain way. Um, and I'm just really lucky that I've been able to get this far, like, you know, without, I don't know, having to give up too much of that. Like, I'm really lucky to still be in the city. Uh, I moved out to Philly for a couple of years to pursue wrestling because it's really tough to, you know, make all those independent dates when you're in New York because a lot of people don't drive. And so it's just easier to like, you know, get places when you have friends you can ride with in Philly that are nearby that everybody drives there. So yeah, um, but yeah, it's great. Like I said, I'm, I'm really lucky to still be here. I'm lucky to done a lot of the things that I've done as a New Yorker like getting to wrestle Madison Square Garden was like super super huge for me super amazing uh, I hope it's not the only time I get to do it but if it is I did it and that's you know I and that's something trade that for anything and that's something I want to get into because one of the things I noticed because I was at that show and it was mind-blowing like <laughs> I cannot stop talking about it it's been what two years yeah, and I'm least, still yeah. like I still have that glow, so I can only imagine what it was for you. Again, growing up here, going there as a kid, the thing that I noticed, you're coming down the aisle, man, and I want to hear your your thoughts. You're coming down the aisle, you slip in, and you go straight for the king, Minoru <laughs> Suzuki, of all people. So was that something you planned? Like, what, like I'm going in there, I'm going for the king. I, I, this is happening. Like, what was going through your head? Yeah, that's that's exactly what it was. It was like, <laughs> it, I'm gonna make the most of this, you know. Like, I'm, I'm in a, a freaking Royal Rumble, uh, you know, like the first match on the card. But I'm in a Royal Rumble with freaking Minoru Suzuki, and you know, Jushin Liger, like you know, and all these other guys at like super legends, and especially for me. Minoru Suzuki is like the guy. So I wasn't going to miss that chance. Yeah, I was like, this is, 
it, it was like meant to be. It's like so absurd that it doesn't even seem real, but somehow it's meant to be. Like you're walking down the aisle and yeah, it was just laser focused on you know the man as soon as i slid in there i was like yeah this is happening there's there's no other choice it was it was like it was a singles match to me i know he, he didn't feel that way i caught him off guard but for me it was like there's only one guy in this ring as far as i'm concerned so i'm glad i got to have that moment it's the funniest thing because i'm watching as a fan and, and in the beginning of the show i was up high uh later on we, we got transferred down so I'm, I'm up there and i'm watching you and i'm going oh my god he, he's no, don't go to him. Like, <laughs> all people, no, not him. No, but one last question about New York, and then I'll, I'll, I'll let Randy take over because I've, I've been taking so much of your time. You live here now, and, and I wanted to harken back two years. You're walking your dog, right? <laughs> and, and, and he has a coat on. You just mind your own business walking the dog, and you see your dog's doppelganger. I yep. thought this was a great thing to, to bring up on the podcast so people could get to know you. And what the hell happened? Like your words, your story, like, that's amazing. I can't believe you brought that up. That's, that's, this is like serendipity or whatever, like uh, synchronicity. <laughs> like that's like, that's, that's been coming up in my life a lot recently, that story. And like you said, it was years ago, but it's yeah. been coming up a lot because yeah, like to give the backstory, I was at one of my like regular places to get like coffee and stuff like that. And so I was getting uh -huh. coffee and a bagel and all that. And then this guy, um tells me like oh like i just saw a dog that like looked exactly like that but like, like did you just take that dog from somebody or something and i was like no this is my dog like we've been here and he's like wow that's crazy and i was just like all right whatever this guy's kind of weird like that's kind of a crazy thing to say no way that this dog was that similar to some other dog and so i step outside and i look down the block and sure enough i see like the exact same dog <laughs> in like the exact same coat coming at me it's like the exact same and they like come face to face and they sniff and all that which blew my mind it was crazy but then so years later we just found out that was before i met my girlfriend that i'm with right now uh -huh. and she put it together that she knows the person that has that dog this whole time <laughs> like it's like yeah it's like the, the, the boyfriend of one of her like acquaintances or something like that and so it's just like it, that's it, you know we're still talking about new york but it's one of those things where it's like the, it's the smallest big city in the world where like you always see exactly. the same people that you know no matter where you are and everybody knows everybody somehow so yeah it's like i can i know who this was now and i've, I've like taken that story full circle in my mind and made the connection yeah that is amazing man because it, it's true we live in such, the one of the biggest cities in america and here we are bumping into people on the street and yep. and they know somebody we know i think that that just happened to us on the show not too long ago we had a guest who uh it was like i, I should have known this guy years ago mm -hmm. he knew mute friends he, he he knew mike law he knew he knew stephen dumang all these guys and i met him through another friend it's amazing so it's small world man but yeah. randy's looking at me he's dying to ask you questions so <laughs> yeah. well I, one thing with the story with the dog though the only thing that would have made it better is if the owner of the other dog looked similar to you. That would probably right. would have made the story. That, that would have been like some Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. that's like Captain America looking at Captain America in Endgame. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, real quick, I have to ask uh, because you know you started your your career with Shakara and then Evolve, and before moving on to Ring of Honor, what did your time in both of those promotions do to help prepare you for Ring of Honor? Who, uh, which stage is a little, which is a little bit more well known than those other two promotions? Yeah, I think it was like the perfect progression in a way um, because it was like each place kind of throws you into the fire, but it like progressed as my career went on where like the stages kind of got bigger and bigger 
but um, everywhere the all those like um, environments and locker rooms were always just full of like the hungriest people I think and people that were really grateful to be where they were and were making the most of it and so that's always something lucky to be around where like nobody really feels stagnant or like complacent with where they are everybody's like trying to improve and trying to outdo each other in like a you know friendly competitive way and being in those kind of environments prepares you the best for somewhere like ring of honor or any of these you know top companies nowadays and yeah like i said before really lucky for for how that progression ended up um because i mean you look at a place like either one of those places you know you look down the line of people that have been there and they've all for the most part ended up you know with contracts in certain places i think i saw gabe sapolsky tweet the other day maybe like yesterday that something like 50 percent of the people who were ever signed to evolve are now signed just to wwe you know that's not even taking into account other places that people have ended up with with contracts and full-time gigs so um yeah i mean i was really lucky to be in those places because they they set you up and those are the places to gun for so yeah can you also dis- discuss most recently the uh, ROH Pure Tournament? I know we, uh, you were heavily involved with that. And you know, can you talk about your, your progression through that tournament and how it went for you? Yeah. I mean, that tournament was, it, it meant the world to me because it was the first thing ROH did after being off for months. And it was like this push of the reset button on like the whole company, which I think, you know, to speak honestly, I think it really needed because. Um, there was a lot of changes in Ring of Honor over the last couple of years, a lot of things getting bounced around and like kind of, it was in a state of flux for a long time. And then we got hit with this pandemic that shut everything down and, and kind of, you know, forced every company and, and every wrestler to kind of readjust and reassess what's going to work and how to navigate that landscape. And I think ROH did a really, really great job of it because one way or another, they dialed in on what, in my opinion, made that company interesting um, when people first saw it, when it was first taking off, which was the quality of the in-ring wrestling and the focus on the sport of pro wrestling. And they dialed in on that. And I think it separated them from every other company where it's important to have an identity, especially with so much competition, so many top spots now, and, and so many active rosters at the same time, you have to separate yourself from every other company and right now what's doing that for ring of honor is pure wrestling and is the the sport direction and the competitive aspect of ring of honor and i think now what we're seeing coming out of that tournament which was an amazing experience for me and, and a great reset on my career and set me on a great path in ring of honor is now the tournament's over and everybody's back in the mix in ring of honor and so now there's like uh, a tension building like the pot is starting to boil where like you know, not everybody believes in pure wrestling. Not everybody believes in the stripped down sport aspect of pro wrestling. So you're seeing the crazy characters come back and and they want to claim their stake in the company. And you're seeing the pure guys try to keep, you know, picking away at what we're trying to build. And I think it's, yeah, it's leading to a big conflict and it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Now, one thing I want to ask you, because we, we have a lot of casual viewers and I, I saw the, uh, the pure tournament and I, I know how it works, but for them, how, what are the rules? Like, I know that sports-based, and I, I, I personally love that aspect. But in your words, like, how would you explain this to a casual fan coming into Ring of Honor, looking at this? Like, I'm sure they'll turn on the TV, and they just expect 
regular wrestling and they're seeing like rope breaks are, are limited and things like that. So could you tell me a little about that? Yeah, yeah, of course. Like before I get into the details, I think it's really interesting how adding sort of more rules like this and being more strict with the rules, in my opinion, from the way I saw it shake out, makes it actually more accessible to a casual fan because mm -hmm. it's that's how sports work. You know, like there are rules yeah. and when they watch along, they can start to learn the rules as it goes on. And everything that happens is logical and it follows a, you know, a rule set that, that keeps us structured everything. Whereas if everything's just off the rails and like the rules change from one match to the next and, and everybody's everywhere, it's like, it looks like a circus, you know? And, and I think that people can kind of bounce off of that and just think like, I don't, I don't get this. This is wacky. This is crazy. But like, you know, sports are like the most watched shows on TV pretty much. Like they have huge audiences. So the, to make it more like sports it, in a weird way makes it more accessible to casual fans, I think. But to explain it, so the pure rules are pretty much um, your regular pro wrestling rules um, with the addition that uh, you get a limited number of rope escapes. So in pro wrestling, if somebody has you in a submission hold or a pin and you grab the rope, uh, the ref has to call off that submission or that pin that you escape. Um, and you can abuse that over and over and over again in regular wrestling and, and it gets, you know, repetitive. But in pure wrestling, we want to see who the better wrestler is, not like who can grab the rope the most time. So you get three rope breaks and that's it. After that, grabbing the ropes does nothing to save you and, and you're in danger. You're in, in danger of losing at any moment. Um, aside from that, uh, no close fist to the face. Um, that's against the rules. And um, I mean, that's pretty much that's pretty much it. I, I, like that's kind of what, what it is, but overall the rules are enforced to a stricter degree where you're not going to be able to get away with the same stuff that you could in other wrestling matches where you're going to have to rely on your skills and you're going to have to be the better wrestler to win the match. So. And I think that's what I really enjoyed about it. Cause I, I'm more of the guy, like I love wrestling. Sometimes I, I want the fluff cut a bit. Uh, I don't mind the, the the funny gimmicks and all that stuff, but sometimes I just I, I want a great wrestling match. So it was it, to me at least, it was a breath of fresh air. And I'm watching this, I'm going, wow, man, I'm like really digging this pure stuff. Yeah, and the, and the cool thing is that you you don't necessarily lose out on the crazier things because you, if you had like Delirious in the pure tournament and he you know sat down and did the interview leading up to it just like anybody else, only he's sitting there and speaking in his language and you know acting the way that he acts so it's actually it's interesting to see people get thrown into that environment too and see how they change and what they do so after the pure tournament you guys came together and you formed the foundation mm -hmm. could you tell me a little about that and what what made you guys do that what was the motivation like we have to show people and i think you you touched on it a little bit a, a minute ago but i wanted to get more in, in depth like what what was your motivation hey listen this is us and we're going to protect this type of, of wrestling yeah it's like it's kind of similar to, to what i've done in every promotion that i've gone into is i always come into you know if i sign a contract somewhere if i start working somewhere exclusively like i have a vision of what i think wrestling is and like i feel very strongly about it and I try to exude it in every match that I have. I try to spread it as much as I can. And I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And it, it so happens that like those people come together naturally. Like you can kind of tell who is on the same page as you it, it, when you look at wrestling like that. And it was happening in Ring of Honor, you know, when I saw who was pushing for the pure division to come back. You know, I, I saw who wanted more wrestling focus on the TV show. I saw 
who you know wanted to strip away from certain things and really dial in on what what we fell in love with with Ring of Honor. And I think it just made sense to work with those people and to you know get on the same page and get on the same team because that's how change happens. You know, we can all believe the same thing, but if we're not working together, then it's not going to happen. So the Pure Tournament was a great launching pad for that because you saw who was really about it. And, um, you know, it was, it was me and Jonathan Gresham in the finals and that's what we thought it was going to be. You know, we spoke about it leading up to it that like, if this is what we believe in, like this, we have to see each other in the finals. And then no matter who wins, we know what the goal is and we know where we're going from here. And so, you know, we got others on board. Um, we got Jay Lethal and we got Rhett Titus on board and, you know, the doors open for more because this is, you know, a mindset, this is a, a goal in wrestling. And so, we want, you know, more power in numbers for people who want to do this. That is awesome. My, my question, though, with Foundation, after Lifeblood uh, sort of dissolved, mm -hmm. was there any hesitation of going back into a group mentality? Um, no, I could see where that, would, where that would come from. But what it really felt like was this was my opportunity to do what Lifeblood was trying to do the right way and to have another crack at it with, you know, coming off of a better foot. Because like I said, this is what I try to do whenever I go anywhere is I, I try to find the people who want to focus on the things that I focus on and to, you know, affect change in the company that way. And that's what we were trying to do with Lifeblood, but it just wasn't the exact right fit. And we weren't dealt the exact right cards where, you know, we had people pulled away from us. We had like splits in, the, in contracts and people left and all sorts of things. And so it never really felt like I got to take a real crack at it. And so rather than be discouraged by that, I, I saw this as a chance to do it right and to do it the way that I truly envisioned it the whole time. And so that's that's what we're doing now. So, yeah. And do you have anything? Because I got, I got a question about his match coming up. Okay. Well, bef before we uh, okay. <laughs> before we do that, I, um, one, of, one of the things that amazes me is on how a lot of the companies in pro wrestling right now have had to adjust to the pandemic. And um, mm -hmm. from, from you, what adjustments did you have to make from a personal standpoint, whether it was from training or how you present yourself in the ring, did the pandemic uh, make you adjust? What, what, what did it have to adjust for you uh, wrestling in the pandemic right now? Yeah, I mean, there's so many adjustments. The, the first one that really jumps out is the lack of a crowd um, during the matches, you know, and that's more something that we only got to experience once we actually showed up. Um, and it's something that you have to get used to for sure. I mean, it's, it's very strange. It's kind of the opposite of what wrestling is usually all about, where it's all about this raucous crowd and about like, you know, giving the people the show and, and usually the people are there, you know, but now it's the, the only people that are there are the ones that are watching on video. And so it's a lot different, but it really played well into the sports presentation of the pure tournament because everybody was so focused on the wrestling. And I think that that really came across in a natural way where it, it, when you do other types of wrestling, it may feel more uncomfortable because other types of wrestling are so theatric and over the top. And, you know, that really benefits to having a live crowd. But when you're doing this sports-based wrestling and this competing and grappling and close striking, you know, like loud hits and all that kind of thing, it really works well with no crowd, I think. And so that was a big positive. Otherwise, adjustments, yeah, I mean, like 
training totally different like i you don't really get to like I know now people are doing it. I'm still not, but like, you don't really get to go roll around with people. You don't get to go to wrestling training, and get in the ring and train with people because it would, it would take so many precautions to do that in a safe way. Um, and so going into the pure tournament, you know, I hadn't done any like actual wrestling with a person in, in months and months. So that was a big change. We also wrestle like multiple, multiple times in a day during these tapings because we have to get as much in as we can um while we're there you know like we go through all these safety precautions we like do the bubble for a week and all that and so on the days of the tapings we are like cranking out matches um <laughs> left and right to to prepare these tapings and so that's that's something hard too you know to keep up that energy because when people see you on tv they don't know that that's your third match of the day you know like they don't know how like what kind of day you had how long like you've had to be there how when you had to get to the building all this, how many times you've cooled down and warmed back up again. Um, so that's a big adjustment. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, now I'm back in the gym, which I think is really great. Um, it's like, you know, it's always scary. <laughs> Doing anything <laughs> is scary now, you know, like when you're around people. But in New York, everybody's really good at the masks. Um, and so, yeah, it's good to be back in the gym leading up to these tapings. Um, yeah, a lot of adjustments. <laughs> a lot of adjustments left and right. <laughs> So uh, since we're talking about the tape, is uh, you got a match coming up, and uh, you're going up against Bandito and LSG. Yeah. Now, you know I'm in your corner because we're, we're we're from we're from New York. I gotta support you 100. But I don't know about this guy because from what I hear, LSG he's a, he's a Jersey boy, Edison, I yeah, believe. Right. So I don't know, Randy. Uh, look, look, he's looking elsewhere. He's not looking <laughs> you in the eye. So, <laughs> how did you prepare to, to, to go against these two guys? You know, like, is it going to be tough? Like, you know what they're bringing to the table. I mean, they have similar experience yeah. and they're, they're a hell of an athletes like you. So did you prepare? Are you uh, looking for certain things that maybe you can exploit? Like, could you, could you tell me a little about that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough. It's definitely out of my element. Um, just being a three person match in general is like, it kind of yeah. goes against everything I believe in wrestling, to be honest. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. A, a fight where three people are fighting each other. It's, it's insane. It, it's, it's a circus, but you know, that's where growth happens when you step out of your comfort zone. So, you know, that's the idea here. And, and it's what I have to do. This match is actually the important thing about it to me is that this is my first match in the rankings for the television championship. So ROH has, uh, you know, introduced um, strict ranking systems for each division. Um, and that's a, a new thing that they are, are trying to implement. And so everything's kind of started fresh where now we're going to find out where people land in these rankings based on these few matches coming up in each division. And so when I saw that happening, um, the whole goal of the foundation, part of it is to win as many titles as we can. So that we can, you know, spread our message and spread our vision of what Ring of Honor should be across the whole company. And to do that, we have to spread out. As much as I love pure wrestling and as much as I love being in the pure division, Jonathan Gresham is the pure champion. And he's representing the foundation. He's doing the work for us in that division. And so I want to spread the power out. And so I'm, I've put in the application. I'm officially in the television rankings now for the television title. And this is my first match in those rankings against two other guys who are in that division as well. And so this match is going to show where the three of us fall in these rankings and who's going to get that title shot soonest. So 
it's a super important match to me. You know, it, it's not just some other match. It's not just some random three away. It's like, I, I love that everything has stakes right now um, in Ring of Honor and these stakes are huge to me. So that's why I'm, you know, this is super important to me. That's what I want to see. I want to see you with the, the, the TV championship because it's a prestigious belt here yeah. in Ring of Honor. I want you to represent Foundation and New York. That's a that's one of the most important parts. I, I, I look at him, look at him. He's like <laughs> Jersey. It's fine, Randy. We know where you land. You guys got really nasty water. We got we got really good water and pizza. <laughs> but one thing I want to talk to you about, and, and, and it has nothing to do with wrestling. Well, it might, but I heard you're you're a big uh, video game guy. Yeah. Like uh, Streets of Rage is one of the your big <laughs> ones. Have you played the new one by any chance? I know I, I didn't play the new one. Um, I mean, for some reason, it just didn't really grab me. I don't know. Maybe it's good, but I think you know they're they're classics, and I, I treat the classics as classics, and I don't I don't expect the new one to live up to that. So I'd rather not be disappointed. Yeah, it, but yeah, I, I am a big video game guy, and 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 you were talking about the how prestigious the championship would be and, and to hold it and to hold it as a New York guy. And it reminded me of like my favorite ring of honor moment that I saw in person before I ever even got into wrestling, ever joined the company was homicide winning the ROH championship in New York uh, in front what? of you know sold out crowd at the Manhattan center. And so it, it just adds on to like how much it would mean to sort of you know emulate that in some way and win a, a title in ring of honor and hold it and represent it as a new yorker and, and to have other people get to see that would be huge exactly and, and that's what that's i saw you in i think it was mayhem in manhattan in 2019 in, in the <laughs> summer and i was just like marking out up on top man it was great <laughs> Yeah, the Hammerstein. But, so it's yeah, man. Yeah. I and what's funny is like right before the pandemic happened, I'm sitting there. You guys were coming back to New York. I think it was going to be by the uh, by the Hudson River. Yeah. I forgot exactly where it was. And I'm sitting. There, I'm telling my friends. I'm like, man, I'm going to go. I got time. I got the money. And then the world was like, you know about that? You're not going anywhere. Yeah. What the hell, man? Yeah. How, how'd was, you that take that? Hard, like, yeah, that that was one of the things that kind of initially was like, ah, oh, damn. I mean, you know, uh, among everything else, like obviously the actual situation is is the most horrible thing. But as far as like wrestling goes, yeah, I was, I'm always bummed to miss out on a show in New York because it's surprisingly rare that like, I don't know, certain companies actually get to run here. It's because it's so difficult to get around the commission to book buildings is so expensive. There's so many, there's so much red tape that it's it's hard to like run here. So every time I, I get to wrestle in New York, it's a huge, you know, I, I don't take it lightly, so. That definitely sucked to miss out on, but it's going to be huge. You know, the first time we come back, I'm really looking forward to. God, listen, I already have one of my vaccines. I just want everybody else to do what they got to do so we can get back to some of of normalcy, man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but I got. I it. think Randy has one more yeah. question for us before we let you go, man, because yeah. I know we've taken so much of your time, and we're appreciative. I got um, uh, like he said, hopefully everybody can get back to normal, get their vaccines. I'm I'm one of the lucky ones who got both of them done already. But you know, um, my my question to you is, you know, you talked about growing up in New York, and you know, can I ask you what your what your favorite matches are? One, uh, growing up, what sort of shaped you as far as one of your favorite matches, and then one of your favorite matches that you were a participant in? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, growing up, I was always a huge fan of Bret Hart um, and just his uh, approach to everything and, and, and the way he just came off really kind of resonated with me. And so 
I don't know a specific match. I mean, him and Austin, anytime they faced off was great because, you know, he was another guy who I really became a big fan of. And I think a lot of people kind of went through that transition in wrestling where like, you know, they, they loved like the classic babyface Bret Hart. And then kind of as they like reached a certain age, maybe they, they started liking like the badass guys like Steve Austin. And so, um, yeah, Bret and Austin kind of stands out as just like a, a great example of like two guys who are like both really technically sound, but have completely different attitudes. Like I, I think people kind of miss out on how, technically sound guys like Austin are because they have that like badass persona around them. But I mean, he's, he's really like a great technician and everything he does is super crisp. And you know, you can't overstate how good those guys are. So yeah, those are two big ones and favorite matches I've been involved in. I don't know. I always love fighting Eddie Kingston. Um, I think we like, we bring a certain something out of each other because we've known each other forever and we like we both love the same things in wrestling. We both love like you know old all Japan like you know knockdown drag out matches uh, where two guys just testing each other's metal. And so I think we always kind of bring that out of each other. And uh, yeah, anytime I faced off against Eddie Kingston, it's been really great. You know. Listen, thank you so much, man. I know we've taken about a half hour to, to 40 minutes of your time. And we're, we're very appreciative. And like I said, this means a lot to me because you're a New Yorker. And I, I always love having New Yorkers on here and, and really pushing them to the, to, to the moon, basically. Randy, take us out. <laughs> uh, Tracy, real quick, want to let everybody where they, where they can find you on social media? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm sauce underscore Williams on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I got a shirt on the Ring of Honor shop. Uh, if you feel like checking that out, go ahead and grab it. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate both of you. Thank you. Wish me luck. I wish you luck. Stay safe. Uh, yes. Good luck getting that um, second shot. I'm glad you're both vaccinated. Uh, hopefully I can get that soon. <laughs> and thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Right, thanks, Thank Tracy. You. Take care. Okay. See you guys. Great interview with Tracy Williams from ROH. M, uh, one of my favorites so far that we've done, and we like to thank Mark over at ROH, uh, for setting this interview up. And of course, our great producer, Andrew Fumi, for making us look and sound as best as as best as we can look and sound. Yeah, because I look like crap. I'm all in the dark. I'm wearing black. Yeah, help me out, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Listen, Ring of Honor is definitely on the upswing. Uh, EC3, who was you know released from WWE last year, signed an exclusive contract with Ring of Honor, meaning that he is all in on ring of honor right now. And, and look, he is a great talent, had a lot of talent when he was in impact wrestling. Um, it just didn't work for him in WWE. And now he's going to bring his talents and his skills uh, and take it to another level with ring of honor. And good, and good for him, man, because I'm excited to see what he does. He came out, he stared down uh, Jay Briscoe. I, I think it was, it was one of the Briscoe brothers. I'm, I'm sure of it. Uh, I always get them confused. I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to brothers and stuff. So that's just me, though. But uh, again, thank you guys for watching. If you want to find us, uh, look for us on social media. On uh, Instagram, we got the Cut PW Podcast. And on Facebook, we have the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. Give us a like, subscribe, share our stuff, rate our stuff, leave comments. Let us know how we're doing, how you're enjoying the show. Randy, where are we on Twitter? Because I don't do Twitter. 
Cut, wrestling, <laughs> Cut Wrestling BSP on Twitter and also, of course, BackSportsPage.com. And we are on YouTube, so, you know, subscribe to our network. We'll give you updates, and we're going to start putting some different clips from some of the older shows on there. And, guys, also with Tracy Williams versus LSG and, and Bandito. Bandito this week on YouTube on the Ring of Honor YouTube network. So check that out as well. And uh, I can honestly say, again, another great episode in the books for us here at the club. A lot of fun. Definitely a lot of fun. And M, thank you as always. This was always good. Yeah, sir. Thank you. Go New Jersey. And we'll see. Go New York. <laughs> guys, see you guys soon, all right? See you on the next episode of The Cut.